Good morning. I am glad that you are here at Central Church today. Let me also give a ringing endorsement to the red letter uh, uh, project out there. Grab one of those red envelopes. My, both my boys went to NYC, and, and truly it was life-changing. I, I want that for all of our kids. And so be very, very generous with that. We're wrapping up uh, this week and next week this sermon series that we've been in called Wonder Women. We haven't really uh, talked much about this aspect of it, but the truth of the matter is we Nazarenes have always believed in, in the ministry and the power and, and God's working through women uh, in, in Scripture and in life. And we, we have always, the Church of the Nazarene, part of the American Holiness Movement, we have always ordained women. Sometimes other churches have debated that back and forth. Church of the Nazarene has always had women involved in ministry. Right now, uh, one of our general superintendents, Carla Sundberg, for, our mother of our former children's pastor, is she's a uh, general superintendent of the Church of the Nazarene. We at our church have Janet Benjamin, our children's pastor, is an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene. We have a couple of other uh, women on staff who are district licensed, working their way to to be ordained, uh, Pastor Wendy Eaton, Pastor Rashonda Womack. We have other women that are involved in, in the district licensing process and still in education, Hannah Benjamin and Megan Cousins. And Monica Gildner is a district licensed minister. She's the director of East Side, Side Mission. We've always believed in women in ministry. That's part of who we are. You see, Joel, when he was writing his prophecy, and then Peter, who quoted it on the day of Pentecost, said, in the last days, God, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see dreams. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. We heartily believe that Peter's words are true. We believe that Paul's words are true in the book of Galatians when it says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so we say we we celebrate the fact that women are are called into ministry and that women are a vital part of the ministry of, of, of God in our world. And we see that in scripture. And so we've been looking at these wonder women, remarkable women in scripture. And we're, again, we're wrapping it up today and next week. And today we're looking at two remarkable women, sisters, Mary and Martha. Their, part of their story is told in Luke chapter 10. And if you want to follow along or read on the screens, uh, you can do that. This is how Luke tells the story. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, they came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to them. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, and she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Okay, let me, uh, let's, uh, may the Lord bless the reading of his word, and let's get into this story a little bit. Jesus and his disciples drop in on Mary and Martha's place in Bethany for a little relaxation. Now, rest and relaxation aren't in Martha's vocabulary, I don't think. 
She sees this crowd of hungry men, at least 13 men, maybe more. But she sees this crowd coming in. She wants to be hospitable. She rushes into the kitchen to see what she might be able to muster up for these, these hungry guys. Martha's the type of person that just loves to serve. I imagine her, uh, uh, that, that her kitchen was kind of her, her, her uh, kingdom, and she was a roll-up-her-sleeves type of lady, and she, was, she would be the first one in there getting things going. She was the last one to leave after the last dish has been washed and put away. She would run her house like clockwork. I imagine her to be the type of lady that would go and haggle over the prices of the freshest vegetables from the market vendors in the morning. She would be the perfect, perfect hostess. She is, she's remarkable lady. She's not going to serve these guys, you know, craft macaroni and cheese out of a box and hot dogs. No, she's preparing a meal for them. They didn't usually use uh, last names in the Bible, but if she had a last name, it probably would have been Stewart, Martha Stewart. She's the, the, she's the first century version of Betty Crocker. Probably her favorite verse is, and chapter in the Bible is Proverbs 31. That's the kind of lady she was, the queen of the kitchen, the queen of the household. Martha's awesome. She has a sister, Mary. Martha and Mary grew up in the same house, no doubt, drank out of the same milk jug. But Martha and Mary are, are different, different as can be. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise. If you've had you know, more than one kid, you know how, how kids who grow up in the same house can, have, ha, ha, can be completely different. My boys, I love both of them. They're both great kids, but they are different. They're almost as different as night and day. They're different. And Martha and Mary are different. Martha's comfortable with the broom. Mary's comfortable with a book. Martha has things to do. Mary, she has thoughts to think. They're different. That's all. Not one's better, the other worse. They're just just different. If my siblings were here, I would tell you that me and my siblings are different. I'm the good-looking one, the smart one. Mama's favorite always. I don't know if they would agree, but, you know, we're different. And Mary, so Mary is here, Martha and Mary. Mary is only quoted one time in the whole Bible. And her only quote in the whole Bible is in John chapter 11. We're in Luke 11. But in John chapter 11, their brother Lazarus had died. And Mary's only quote, the only time she's quoted in Scripture is there when, when she says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's the only thing she's, she's given credit for saying in the whole Bible. I imagine Mary is kind of a, and maybe introvert, quiet type of person because even that quote her only quote in all of the Bible is she's just parroting the words that Martha had already said. It isn't even her quote. It's Martha's quote from 10 verses earlier. Here's another interesting fact about Mary. I don't know the significance of this. Maybe there's no significance of it. Often we find her at the feet of Jesus. And usually when we find her at the feet of Jesus, there is a, an aroma in the air. There is a stink in the air. Not because of Jesus' feet, but just that's just going on. Here in, in Luke chapter 11... Martha's home cooking is in the air. In John chapter 11, the death of Lazarus is in the air. In John chapter 12, the the smell of perfume of nard is in the air. It seems like wherever Jesus is there and Mary is there, some significant is in the air. Right after Lazarus had been raised from the dead, John tells us that Martha threw a party for Jesus. As kind of some would would think that it was a, a who's who of of the people that Jesus had healed kind of party. Now, Jesus you know, fed thousands, healed hundreds, probably not hundreds were there, but possibly several, several were there. Maybe, let's say 20, 25 people were there. All rejoicing that Jesus had touched them in some sort of way. And, and Mary comes into the room, into this gathering, 
They're having this party. Jesus is the guest of honor. And Mary comes into the, to the room. The mission of that day was to put a drop, just one drop of nard on a guest's head. It's a way of welcoming them. Remember, it's the first century. Hygiene wasn't always the greatest. And nard was a very, very expensive perfume made in India, brought there from India, from the Ganges River. Very expensive. So they put one drop. If the guest was extra special, you'd put two drops on their head. So Mary comes into this room and sees all the people that Jesus had healed. No doubt she looked across and saw some, a, a, a letter, maybe because she was lame or maybe because she see. And here she is, the sea. And then she looked at that person on the road, would have the young room. But best of all, Lazarus, who in the pre John chapter 11, he had been dead, dead as a. And there he is, laughing just like he used to, like he always had been. She thought that Jesus carrying on and, and put a drop, maybe two, on Jesus' head. Be lame, or they'd still be blind, or they still, they would still be dead. But because of Jesus, the depths of despair to the high joy, she comes in and she, and if, if one drop of nard drops for an extra special person, what do you put of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Given hope and given life. Impulsively, she walks up to Jesus, breaks open that, that jar of nard, she pours the whole blesses. Harry deal that's what happened she was oblivious to all that she just her gratitude and her love for jesus kind of just poured the whole thing out super bowl winning coach gets a gate got a nard plunge the whole thing all over him that bottle of nard was worth a year's wages and then he cited by judas iscariot shocking judas was so mad jesus can you believe what she's just done it was just, we could have fed, think of how many people we could have fed with a year's wages and she just poured it all out over. What a frivolous thing, what a stupid thing. Jesus, can you believe her? In Mark's account of this, Mark's uh, word choice uh, gives the, the, the feeling, the idea of, of snorting horses. That's how the, the disciples were responding, like they were, were snorting horses. Jesus, can you believe what she did? <laughs> That's my impression of a snorting horse. I don't... Todd and Randy, I've never been around horses. I don't know, snorting horses. <sighs> but they, can you believe it? This is, this is crazy. She doesn't know the value of a dollar. I can't believe Mary. Blah, 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 blah. Going on and on and on. And Jesus looks at him. And, and in so many words, Jesus says, boys, she hasn't done a frivolous thing. She hasn't done a stupid thing. What Mary's done, then IV says, she has done a beautiful thing. That's Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, oblivious to everything that else is going on. She's just, she's just enamored by Jesus. She just loves Jesus. She just wants to be close to Jesus. And so that's what's going on in John chapter 12. And that's what's going on in Luke chapter 11. I think Mary, once again, is oblivious to, to everything else that's going on. Jesus is there, and, and she just is so excited that Jesus is in their house, and Mary is, 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 is just by him. Martha, the worker bee, Mary, the spelling bee, and, you know, just kind of oblivious to what it all is. And so in a matter of seconds, Martha, Hurricane Martha, she's in the, in the kitchen, and she's whirling and twirling and, and thinking and, and and trying to get this meal together and, and trying to figure out what's going on. And about that time that she's just spinning in the kitchen and, uh, like a whirling dervish, she hears, she hears Mary's laughter coming from the other room. 
and it dawns on her, wait a minute, I'm in the kitchen working my fingers to the bone to provide for these 13 hungry men, and what in the world is Mary doing? Well, she's not even, you know, setting the table and pouring the water. When we have guests come to our house, that's my job. Carla doesn't let me do any cooking, and you can be thankful for that if you've ever eaten at our house. But I, my job is I set the table, I pour the water in the cups, that's my job, don't mess it up, Rob. I've been known to mess that up, you know, where did the silver go, where does the spoon go? Mary's not even doing that! She's not even setting the table, she's not even pouring the water! She, 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 she's just in there with everybody else, Martha's left to do everything. Pretty soon, in a matter of nanoseconds, the oven isn't the only thing hot in the kitchen. And instantly... Martha takes off and gives Mary that death stare. She's staring at her. My mom used to stare at us, give us a death stare in church. You know, we'd be hanging out with the boys and teenage boys, and we'd be talking, carrying on in church. And if you looked over, I tried to avoid looking over, but if I looked over and my mom was giving me the death stare, and I knew, you know, <laughs> it was not going to be a pleasant afternoon at the prince house. Uh, Martha's giving Mary, I'm sure, the death stare. Get in here. Get in here, get in here. Mary's oblivious. Oh, there's Jesus. And so with that, Martha throws down her dish towel. She marches out to Jesus. And in Luke 10, 40, this is the Rob Prince translation. It may not read exactly this way in your NIV or New Living Translation or what you have, but Mary Mar Martha marches out there and says, Lord, don't you care that my stinking, good-for-nothing, lazy-boned sister is in here with you when I got all sorts of work to do in the kitchen? Don't you care about that? Is it, would it be a little too much to ask you to tell her to get in the kitchen and help me out? Whew. Following Martha's tirade, the room gets totally silent. The only sound can be heard is Martha tapping her foot on the stone floor. There's flour on her apron, there's fire in her eyes, and she is not happy. Talk about an awkward moment. The disciples, they're just kind of wide-eyed, looking, they don't know what to say. Mary, she wants to climb underneath the, the dining room table. Ah, awkward. And, and Martha says, the very first thing that she says, this is in your NIV, verse 40. First thing that Martha says is, Lord... Don't you care? Haven't you, have you ever said that? God, don't you care about what's going on in my life right now? Because Lord, if you cared about what was going on in my life, you'd do something about it. Don't you care that, that, that they're talking about me or lying about me? Don't you care that my parents aren't listening to me? Don't you care that my ex is just giving me havoc? Don't you care that my boss doesn't understand what's going on? Lord, don't you care? I think we've all said that to the Lord at some point. It's, it's interesting. You know, of course, we know that, that Jesus cares, right? 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Of course, Jesus cares for you. He cares about your worries. He cares about your heartache. He cares about your grief or your sickness or your troubles. You matter. He cares. Of course, he cares. But Martha's first complaint, don't you care, Jesus? And then the second thing she says in there, the second half, is simply, would you tell Mary to help me? Tell her to help me, Lord. Don't you tell her, 
help me. Frustration sometimes leads us to bossing God around. That's, that's what's going on here. Martha thought she knew exactly what was needed, and what was needed is Mary to get in the kitchen and start doing a little bit of work. And so in her frustration, she goes to Jesus and says, says listen, this is what you need to know. Mar- Mary's not doing a thing, and she needs to be in the kitchen. Sometimes I think we think we have it all figured out too. We, we face a difficult situation, a difficult problem, and we say, all right, Lord, this is what you need to do. This is when you need to do. This is how you should work. You need to go and tell them. Uh, uh, you need to tell them how they need to. Re- you need to remind my kids about, you know, commandment number five, honor your father and mother. You need to tell my ex to just lay off. You need to do this, God, with my, with my teacher or my, or my boss. Listen. God knows what he's doing. You can trust him. His timing is always perfect. He knows when to act. He knows how to act. He knows where to act. He knows why he should or should not act. You see, God sees in the big picture. This is news. You, you, you don't always. God is omniscient. Here's more shocking news. You're not. And... And I know we, we should be a little careful here. I don't want to throw too many stones at Martha. You know, it's not a question of saying, all right, we need to be a worshiper like Mary and not a worker like, like Martha. I think, I think sometimes it's been presented that way, this passage. We need Marthas. We, if there's no Marthas in the world, nothing would ever get done. You know, we need Marthas. Marthas are good. We need more Marthas here at, at Central Church. We need people who are, roll up their sleeves and get to work. Every area in our church could use some more volunteers. We need Marthas. I guess what I'm saying is, it's not saying we need to imitate uh, Mary only. We need to imitate Mary in her worship. We need to imitate Martha in her service. It's not either or, it's, it's both and. I've, 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 I've talked with folks who, who have felt one way or the other. You know, pastor, I just want to come to church and worship. I just want to worship. That's all I want to do. I just want to come and worship. Well, that's great. We need your service. We don't, we don't, we don't, we, we're glad you're here, but don't just soak everything in. We need your service. You need to find a place of meaningful service. And again, there's, there's a bunch of places where you could, where you could join in and, and help build the kingdom of God but we need your service. And I've known people on the opposite side. When I was in seminary, I worked at the Kansas City Rescue Mission. And, and we'd have people all the time with no faith base. They just knew that we were, you know, helping the homeless and, and feeding the hungry. And so they would call and they'd want to help out. They had no uh, faith really at all, no, no grounding on, on Jesus for sure. And, you know, we just, you know, you don't have to be a Christian to, you know, pour out soup for somebody. And so we'd take anybody. If their heart was beaten and if they, they were willing, they could come and help us. But usually those folks, those folks that didn't have a faith, uh, they didn't last very long. They'd come, they'd feel better about themselves for a little while, and then, and then they'd be gone. You know, and that's just, that's just the way it is. We, the, the, there needs to be a balance. Jesus wants your worship. Jesus wants your service. So Martha... Bossing Jesus around, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to do all the work. Tell her to help me. And finally, Jesus speaks in the midst of all that. And when Jesus speaks up, the, the problem isn't the, the big crowd that showed up at Martha's house. And the problem isn't that Mary has, you know, not doing anything. And, and the problem isn't even that Martha is, is doing all the work. The, 
The problem was Martha's heart. Just like milk that's set out overnight, it's, it's soured. And so Jesus comes to her and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things. See, Martha thought that Jesus was starved for food. I don't, I don't know that Jesus was too worried about that next meal. He, he wanted to be in those relationships in that front room. Martha was, was, was thinking that Jesus was preoccupied and, and, and was, was so worried about that. And so she, that led her to worry about her food and worry about her sister and worry about the mess and worry about the cleanup and worry, worry, worry. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about too many things. See, Jesus knows that worries do us no good. It harms our body, it hurts our relationships, it spoils our faith. Worry has never, 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 never brightened a day. It's never solved a problem. It's never cured a disease. Worry divides our times. It multiplies our misery. It subtracts our happiness. It never, ever, ever, ever adds. Doesn't add a positive thing. That's what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the answer to Jesus' rhetorical question is, no, you, you can't add a... You can't add time by worrying. In fact, I, I think it's just the opposite. Worry is the opposite of trusting. Worry is the opposite of faith. Worry indicates that we're not willing to trust God in, in those situations that we're, we're facing. And so Martha comes to him, Lord, you've got to do something. Tell Mary, get in here. Tell her to work. Don't you care? And worry, worry, someone defined worry this way. It's the sin of distrusting the power and the promises of God. Now, we, we may not like to couch it in those terms, but it's saying by our actions, by our attitudes, that we don't really trust God. We don't trust that he knows what he's doing. We don't trust that he's, he's taking care. Probably one of the worst things, the most devastating thing that Carla could ever say to me is, Rob, I don't trust you. And I think when we, when we rather worry rather than, than, than put our trust in God, I think God responds in the same way. That's all. He's going to take care. We can trust him with our troubles and our problems. We can go to him when we're, when we're uh, 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 getting anxious and filled with anxiety. He wants us to. Remember that verse from 1 Peter. Cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? He cares for you. I think too often we're control freaks. We want to be in control. And we want to know exactly what's going to happen and, and when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. Now listen, God has given us uh, brains. We're to use them. And there's some things that are in our control, but there's some things that aren't in our control. And those things that aren't in our control, we need to leave in the hands of the Lord. We just need to say, Lord, you're in control, not me. You're the, you're the king of creation, not me. You're the one who's omniscient, not me. You're the one that knows the big picture, not me. I'm trusting this with you. Well, I know. It's easier said than done. I mean, it's easy to say, okay, I'm going to stop worrying. But if you've been a worry your whole life, that's hard to do. And so let me be... Uh, let me be like Dr. Rob this morning and give you a worryectomy. <laughs> kind of like a tonsillectomy, a, a what other ectomy? <laughs> let's, let's get rid of worry. You don't have to put on a hospital gown, please don't. Um, but, but if we want to get rid of worry, the way we do that, real easy, we need to understand the truth about worry. And the truth about worry is that it's a thief and a cheat. It will rob you of your joy it will cheat you out of peace every time. Nothing good comes out of worrying. 
it will rob you of contentment. It will, it will steal your freedom. Worry deprives you of the blessings of God. You, you, you can't be whole and well when you're tied up in knots and full of worry. And a big step of this worryectomy is refusing to play refusing to play the what-if game. Now, I like games. I've always liked games. When I was a kid, I used to play Monopoly with my teddy bear when no one else would play with me. I'd set up the Monopoly board. My teddy bear would be on one side. I'd be on the other. My teddy bear never once won. Um, he, <laughs> I cheated. <laughs> teddy never argued about my cheating. Do you want to sell Boardwalk for $2? Great, Teddy. That's a great idea. That's, that's a good business decision. But, but playing the what-if games won't get you anywhere. What if I lose my job? What if my daughter gets pregnant? What if I get cancer? What if things don't go out? What, what if I can't pay my bills? What if I don't get accepted into this program? Those things will drive you crazy. And instead of playing the what-if game, I, I call on you to play, it's not a game, uh, I just simply claim the promises. And that is claiming the, pro- the Bible is full, literally full of promises of God that you can claim. When you're lonely, claim John 14, 18 that says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When you're in despair, claim Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you're tempted, all of us will be tempted at some point. Jesus was tempted. When you're tempted, claim 1 Corinthians 10. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can, can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. If you have to claim that promise 10 times a day, then do it. When you're going through tough times, claim 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. And probably my go-to promise is also in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 12. Ever since I think my brain hemorrhage, this has been my go-to promise. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I don't always delight in weakness, I'll be honest. In insults, I I don't always delight in insults. In hardships and persecutions and difficulties, but this I know is true. For when I am weak... Uh, then I am strong through Jesus Christ. Claim the promises. Claim every one of them. Continue to claim them. Keep on claiming them. When worry seems to grip you, go to God's word and claim his promises and know that they're true. Know that God's promise, he will never leave you or forsake you. You can count on him. Claim those promises. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Help us to put our trust in you. Leave the worries behind and trust Jesus only. It's in your name we pray. Amen.